I want to think a little bit about these words in Matthew's Gospel first. Near us, in where we live, in the park nearby, there is a little library where you can go and you can take books and return books. It's a great little resource. And I found this book here, the Book of General Ignorance, which I was uh, immediately drawn to. And in the inside sleeve, it says, a comprehensive and humiliating catalogue of all the misconceptions, mistakes, and misunderstandings in common knowledge, which will make you wonder why anyone ever bothers to go to school. And in the, on page, what is it? 262, the question is, was Jesus born in a stable? And the answer, no. Not according to the New Testament. The idea that Jesus was born in a stable is an assumption made only because St. Luke's Gospel says he was laid in a manger. And on it goes. It's not the only common knowledge thing that we get wrong. You perhaps have uh, heard of the, the three kings that come on their camels to bring gifts to Jesus but of course there's no mention of there being three or of them being kings we know that there are three gifts but we don't know that there was three of them and we're told that they were magi not that that they were were kings the only kings actually mentioned in Matthew in our final reading today are King Herod and the one who is said to be born king Jesus doesn't say that the fellows with the gifts were kings because they weren't. They were magi, which was another way of saying they were wise guys. They were wise men, curious sorts of fellows, readers, thinkers, people who were the kind who would probably want to read up on a book like this that they found in their local park about things that you get wrong. And they were the kind of people who were willing to challenge their assumptions. And they weren't people who grew up reading the Bible and were familiar with all of the stories from within the Old Testament. And some of the things that we associate with the story are not all wrong. So there was, of course, a star involved in, in verse 2. They were able to follow this star. They saw the star when it rose and they came to worship him. We'll come back to that in a moment. Now I have no idea how that star thing worked, but there it is. And this star guided them to God's great gift to the world. This Jesus who they come to, to worship curiously. And that is emphasized right through. They say they have come to worship him. And they express that, you see in verse 11, by the giving of their gifts. They opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, of frankincense, and of myrrh. Gold speaks for itself. Each of these gifts were, were very expensive. Frankincense was a lovely smelling spice. Myrrh was a special kind of medicine at the time also. But they were expensive gifts is the thing. And they were fit for them to express who they believed that this baby Jesus was. And they have adorned the Christmas cards like, like this little one here ever since. There are three of them here. 
on this card, and they do have crowns on them. So the misconceptions continue today. But their giving of their gifts, that common knowledge that has adorned Christmas cards ever since, that's not what they gave first, and it wasn't what motivated them. It wasn't what mattered most to them. And it's not what they said they made their, their journey for. They said that they made their journey so that they might worship him. Herod also said that, but he had no intention of worshiping Jesus. We find out that he was actually wanted to kill him because he saw him as a threat to his rule. So these men come along who express this sense of joy in verse 10 when they see the star. They're overjoyed. They come to the house. They see the child with his mother Mary and they bow down and they worship him. And then after that comes the giving of their gifts. So these are educated, grown men, thinking people. They had no plan to appear on, on Christmas cards like this from Marxies or wherever it is you get them. And they had no idea to inspire generations to, to give gifts, as has happened subsequently. But they were willing to challenge their assumptions. And they saw in Jesus something which caused them to follow that star and to bow down and to worship when they saw the baby. They saw the child with his mother Mary. They saw in him something that compelled them as grown educated men to bow down and to worship and to give what were expensive gifts. They didn't do that with King Herod. It's very moving. And the joy that they express is moving. They see God's great gift in Jesus. And it causes them to bow down and to worship him. Now that might sound kind of mad or irrelevant to you. The bit of Christmas that you'd rather just leave on a Christmas card and, and leave out or let the religious types do their thing with that if they must. But I'm reminded of the words of the author of David Foster Wallace, who was not a Christian himself. And he says, there's no such thing as not worshipping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And an outstanding reason for choosing some sort of God to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you look for meaning in life, then you'll never have enough. Worship your own body and beauty and you'll always feel ugly. Worship power and you'll feel weak and afraid. Worship your intellect and being seen as smart and you'll end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out, and so on. The Magi and the wise of the Christmas story worship Jesus and they come away full of joy. I was thinking of the misconceptions and misunderstandings that we all have. And I wonder what misconceptions and misunderstandings might keep you from seeing how in Jesus there is the one to bow down and worship to. Common knowledge tells you that worshipping Jesus is foolish 
and that it sucks the good out of life. But God didn't become a person to eat you alive or leave you unsatisfied. Not to make you feel stupid or to make you feel like a fraud. Not to make your sense of imposter syndrome all the worst or to fill you with fear. But to give you liberty, true meaning in life, joy and awe at what is bigger. A worship that opens you up. Not one that crumples you down. It expands your humanity. It doesn't shrink it. These magi left wiser, richer and fuller for having seen, bowed down and worshipped this king Jesus. This one born king. I'm sure they left with plenty more questions. But what they saw changed them. And we have the benefit of reading this immense story here this evening together. Make sure that you see what prompted their worship and gift giving is what God was first giving them. God gifts the gift of himself in person in Jesus. And these wise men, these magi, they responded by giving their worship. It's in response to the giving God. It wasn't a chore. It wasn't some means of paying God off. It wasn't a bargaining chip, but a natural response to the gift he had given them and us and the world in himself. And misconceptions, mistakes, and misunderstandings will, will continue. And one of them is that this is the only time people bow to Jesus and give him things in the Bible. But it's not. It happens again much later on. It happens again, not at his birth, but at his trial. And there soldiers mock him, they beat him, and they say, Hail, King of the Jews. And they give him mocking gifts, and they pretend to worship him. They give him cruel gifts of a purple robe and a crown of thorns. And on his cross they write, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. And what is it that this king is offered as he dies on the cross? Wine mixed with Myrrh. The wise men's gifts, the Magi's gifts, were more poignant than they knew. All of the world's religions value humility, but only in Christianity do we find a humble God gifting himself in humility from the stable to the cross. So see in Jesus a king that fills you with joy, a king who is driven by humility. A king who is worthy of worship. A king who is gifting himself to you. A humble king who lives and dies to do so. To make worship not only possible, but irrepressible, spontaneous, and free. You don't need to know much about the Bible. You don't have to have it all right. You don't need to have all the answers. You don't need to be somebody that you know you're not. You don't have to clean yourself up. You don't need to leave your questions at the door. You just need to be willing to challenge your assumptions, to come and see what there is to see in this Jesus, to accept his invitation and to worship him as Jesus the King. He is the greatest gift of all. The sleeve goes on to say in this book, Thomas Edison stated, 
let me know less than one millionth of one percent about anything.